Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. Everybody doing all right today? All right, well, we have the great chance to look into God's Word together today, and we're going to do so by looking into the book of Hebrews. And we've started a series, uh, we started it last week, we're going to be in it for the next several weeks, looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, And the series is entitled Anchored, because in the book of Hebrews, I believe God wants to call us to anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation. We talked last week about how the world in which we live uh, and the temptation of our flesh is not a, a stagnant pool of water, but it has a drift that wants to take us away from uh, our Savior. And if we do not actively anchor ourselves to Him, we can find a loss of intimacy in our relationship with Christ over time. And so we began our study last week looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4, and seeing that we can anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation because Jesus is God himself, the exact representation of the nature of God, the radiance of his glory. And the, the fact that Jesus is God you know, calls to us a response to cling to him. We began our study last week. We're going to continue our study this week looking at uh, some things from Hebrews chapter 2. But before we, we open up Hebrews 2 together, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look into your word. We pray that you would teach us this morning uh, things that are beyond um, just what human eyes uh, can see and, and what I can explain. But Father, somehow through the working of your spirit, that you would help us to discern and understand what you really intend for us from these verses uh, that you have given us. Father, help us to understand that you would be our teacher today. And Father, I pray that you would help me to to facilitate this time, but to stay out of the way of your Spirit's work. And I pray that you would protect me from saying anything you wouldn't want said. Father, if I say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. Anything that I share today, Father, that you would want us to hear, though, I pray that we would remember it, we would believe it, we would walk forward in it in the power of your Spirit we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to share with you guys a hypothetical situation this morning, okay? I want you to imagine that you have a friend who lives in just an incredible house. Let's just say that you have a friend that lives in a 5,000-square-foot mansion, beautiful, decorated to the nines, uh, has has a, a TV that's just awesome. You want to watch every major game on that screen. Uh, backyard, perfect. Fountains, pools, you know, flames of fire. I don't know, just, just awesome. Inside and outside, a beautiful, beautiful house. I want you to imagine that you've got a friend that has a house like that. And then I want you to imagine something a little more. I want you to imagine that friend that has that 5,000 square foot house, they also drive just an, an unbelievable automobile. 
I mean, to think of what unbelievable automobile is in your mind, that's what they drive. I mean, we're talking Lexus, whatever, uh, leather, whatever, has bells and whistles and gadgets that you didn't even know existed, but when you rode in their car, now you want it in yours. Just amazing stuff in that vehicle. And this friend that that lives in this 5,000-square-foot house, this friend that drives that vehicle, let's just say that, that, that one day you run into them out around town. And you see this friend out around town, and you say to this friend, hey, are we going to watch the, the Thunder game tomorrow night together? I'd love to come over and watch the Thunder game over at your house. And they tell you, I tell you what, uh, something's happened. I don't live in that house anymore. Like, you don't live in that house. Where do you live? Well, we've moved out of that 5,000-square-foot house, and we've moved into a 500-square-foot efficiency apartment. You're like, where am I going to watch the game? No, you're just amazed by this. And then, and then you, after they tell you that they've moved into a 500-square-foot apartment, they, they, they go on and, and you say, well, man, let's, let's go out and let's talk about this. I want to know what's going on in your life. Let's, let's hop in your car and go for a ride. And they say, don't have a car anymore. Got a bike. You're like, something happened. You, the, the question that you've got and the question that I've got is you're like, Fill in the dots for me from 5,000 to 500, from Lexus to Schwinn. What happened? Connect those dots. Why are you no longer living in that house? Why are you no longer driving that car? Just the change in circumstances alone would, would cause you to ask that question, right? And it would be increasingly perplexing if you knew that they hadn't lost their job and that they still had millions of dollars in the bank. You would want to know, why have you made this decision? Why have you downsized the way that you have? Now, I tell you that story because we began our study of Hebrews last week talking about how Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, Jesus is God himself who carries with it all of the rights and privileges uh, that, that could possibly ever be bestowed to anyone. He is the one who created the earth He is the one that eventually will rule over the earth in a very tangible and demonstrable way on this planet. I mean, Jesus is God. And yet, this amazing thing that we take for granted is that the God, uh, you know, Jesus is God eternally in existence, chose to downsize into humanity 2,000 years ago. And when we really wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus downsized, downsized from heaven to earth, into human flesh, we have to ask the question, why? Jesus, why did you do that? Why did you downsize into humanity? And I think the answer to that question is found for us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. We're going to see two things today from Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. That, that will help us understand, not comprehensively, but will help us understand a little more about why Jesus chose to downsize into humanity. We see two things in Hebrews 2. Well, the first one that we're going to see is this. The first reason why Jesus took on human flesh is that Jesus came down to lift us up. Jesus came down to lift us up. Why did Jesus downsize? Why did he come to the earth? He came down to the earth in order to lift us up. Well, where do we see that? We see this in verses 5 to 9 of chapter 2. This is what it says. 
It says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, in those few verses, we see that Jesus came down in order to lift us up. And the verses begin with a reminder of the fact that Jesus did come down. Jesus did humble himself when he came down and took on human flesh. It says in, in verse 5, it says, It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. The idea is it's not angels who will one day rule over the heavens and the earth. It's not angels who will one day be in charge. It's not some collection of people who will one day be in charge. But ultimately, at the top of the heap of everything that is, is Jesus Christ. He has existed eternally in heaven. His, his past was, he created everything that is. He's been with the Father from the beginning. He's God himself. His future is, he will reign over everything that is. It says that we do not currently see him, everything in subjection to him, but we have promises that one day everything will be in subjection to him. One day every knee will bow before the Father. See, Jesus was, was in better than a 5,000-square-foot house driving a Lexus. Jesus was eternally God, existing forever in heaven. And yet he chose to come down to earth. He chose to downsize into humanity. And we know that it was a step down when he came into humanity because of the things that are told us in verse 6. It says, it has been testified somewhere. That's a great thing to say. If you're ever talking to somebody and you want to quote some scripture and you're not sure where it goes, just say, it says someplace. Worked for him. It has been testified somewhere in the Psalms. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? In other words, mankind, though we're created in the image of God, though there is dignity in every human life, humans are not something that, you know, it says here, it's, it's amazing that God cares for us at all. For all of the, the great things that exist about humanity, there are also a number of limitations, right? When we think of being human, we, we experience all kinds of weakness and limitations. We're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired. We can be wounded, we can, we can die. Life is fragile in many ways. Yeah, just even some of the things that Ori was talking about earlier. When we think of what it means to be human, there's a number of limitations that go along with that. What is man that you're mindful of him is to say, there's problems with humanity. And yet Jesus chose to, to set aside his eternal privilege and to downsize into humanity book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, tells us as much. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
See, Jesus emptied himself, it says. Jesus downsized into humanity. But for what reason? Well, we said earlier, he downsized into humanity in order, he came to us in order to to lift us up. Jesus came down in order to lift us up. And we we see that in the latter parts of the verses we read. Look at what it says in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus downsized into humanity. Jesus took on flesh, verse 9 tells us, for the purpose of dying. In order to reconcile sinful people with a holy God, the consequences of our sin had to be dealt with. And so Jesus stepped down into the earth and took on a human body that could bleed and die so that he could die the death that our sins deserve. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Jesus came and took on flesh. He downsized into humanity for the purpose of dying for my sins and for yours in order to pay that penalty. It describes it as a gift. He says, by by the grace of God. The word grace is another word for an undeserved gift. Jesus wrapped up his life and gave it to us and said, I'm going to die once so that you don't have to taste death. I'm going to take the penalty that your sins deserve so that you don't have to take it. I'm going to provide a way by coming down for you to be lifted up so that you could spend an eternity with God in heaven. That's what Jesus was doing in the incarnation. That's what Jesus was doing by downsizing into humanity is he was providing a way to give us a gift of life through his death. Now, what do we do with that kind of an idea? What do we do with this idea that Jesus died uh, for us? Well, I think that that one of the things that's helpful in this passage is it does refer to it kind of as a gift. And I think it's helpful to think about the gift that we've been given in Christ through his death. Jesus' death for us is like a package that is wrapped up and placed in front of us. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to open it in faith and enjoy it and experience it and have his death count paying the penalty for my sins, or am I going to leave it wrapped up on the table at arm's length? For some of you who are here today, you have heard it described before, or maybe you've just heard it described for the first time, this incredible gift of God in Christ, of his death, paying the penalty for your sins, offering the opportunity for you to be totally forgiven for all of of the, the bad stuff about you, to be fully, the wrath of God for that stuff, be fully satisfied so that you might have a free relationship with him. That's wrapped up in a table in front of you. Are you going to open it? You know, some of us are, are better at receiving gifts than others. Um, you know, for, for me, I struggle at being a good receiver of a gift. And, but when I say that, I, I don't mean that I don't like gifts. I, I love gifts. Give, getting gifts is fun, right? My problem with gifts is when I get it, I don't like to leave it on the table for very long. Uh, if you give me a gift, I want to open it today, even if it's for next Christmas right? I don't want it to sit under the tree. That's wasteful. 
Let's open it up and enjoy it now. I mean, I, I, like, I don't want to know what's hidden behind that. I want to open it up and experience it right now. And, and the, the amazing thing for me is when it comes to this gift that Christ has offered, some of us are leaving this incredible gift that we could open today wrapped up on the table. And maybe today God is moving within your heart to open in faith the gift that he's offered you in faith. But for others of us, that is a gift that we've opened before. And I think that the gift analogy is also helpful for us. We need to remember that we've received this gift. You know, it's, it's not an uncommon experience for us to buy things that we already have on accident, right? You go to the store and you buy another tube of toothpaste because you're pretty sure that the toothpaste is out at home. And you get home and there's three other tubes in the cabinet. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time. Maybe it's just me. But um, this is why my wife doesn't like me to go to the store. But, I, you know, I, 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 there's times where we buy things that we already have because we forget that we have them. But, you know, we do that on insignificant things, but we don't often do it on significant things. I don't know of anyone that bought a car because they forgot they had one at home. You know, doesn't happen very often. I don't know anybody that that's leaves their, their office or their place of work or their school or whatever and just buys another house because they forgot they had a house to go home to. We typically don't forget the big stuff um, in, in, in life. But in our spiritual lives, we do it all the time, right? Our spiritual lives, we forget this gift that we've been given in Christ all the time. And we want to, to beat ourselves up with the guilt of past actions that Christ has fully paid for. We want to feel like we need to earn our way to God in some way because we've forgotten the, the, the fullness of the justification that we've received in Christ. When we think about the gift that has been given to us, the grace gift that has been given of the death of Christ, we, 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 as believers, we should not forget that gift. We need to remember it. You know, it's Mother's Day. Um, moms are good at these kinds of things. You go to a shower. Somebody sitting just right of center taking notes on everything that was given, right? Helps them send thank you cards later, helps them identify where the gifts came from, helps them be a memoir for the event. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is a list of those gifts for us. We look in here, we read of our salvation. It's a reminder of what we've been given in Christ. Jesus came down. He downsized into humanity in order to lift us. We need to receive that gift. But there's a second thing in Hebrews chapter 2 that lets us know something of why Jesus came to earth, why he humbled himself into humanity. And that is that Jesus came down in order to bring us close. Jesus came down in order to bring us close. Not just to lift us up into heaven, but to bring us close. In order to have a relationship with us. In order to have deep fellowship with us. Not just one day, but today. Jesus came and lived his life on this planet. He took on humanity so that he might have a relationship with you. So that he might have a relationship with me that begins right now. We see this in verses 10 and 11 and then verses 17 and 18. It says, for it was fitting that... He, being God, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of people's salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. 
on down in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, in those four verses, what we see is that Jesus downsizing into humanity had a lot to do with his desire to have fellowship with us. Verse 10 to me is is really interesting. Um, He says in verse 10, talking about the Father's desire to bring us into glory, into relationship with him, says that, that the way that he chose to do that was by making the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. That word founder that is, is there is, is kind of unique in the New Testament, but it was very common in other ancient writings. That word founder is also translated in other places as champion. It was used of someone like Hercules who would, who would fight and, and win battles for his people. And what this passage is saying is that Jesus, who is the champion of our salvation, the one who won it for us, become someone that we can relate to because he has gone through suffering just as we have gone through suffering. In other words, he's a champion that, that, that has lived the life that we've lived. We understand this concept from boxing movies. Why is it that we so easily cheer for Rocky? We cheer for Rocky because he's a man of the street. You know, we, we haven't lived on that street in Philadelphia, but we can imagine that we might have. You know, he's chasing chickens, and he's drinking eggs, and he's living a normal life, just like you and me, right? Because you all chase chickens and drink eggs too, right? But it wasn't in the particulars, but it's just the fact that he was a very common person. So when he steps into the ring, we, we know that he can relate to us. The movie Cinderella Man that just came out a few years ago, James Day Braddock, the, the bulldog of Burgeon, um, story set in the Great Depression. People could relate to him as a fighter because he had stood in the soup lines as they had. They could relate to him as their champion because he had gone through the same sorts of financial difficulties of the Great Depression as they had. He was a people's champion, so it made it easy to cheer for him. Jesus lived 33 years on this planet going through suffering and difficulty so that we could relate to him and he could relate to us. See, it's not in the particulars. It's not in the drinking of eggs and chasing of chickens. It's, it's in the, the fact that he went through suffering as we have. You know, Jesus can relate to us because we have re- experienced rejection. He experienced rejection. We experienced pain. He experienced pain. We experienced the loss of a loved one. He experienced the loss of a loved one. We experience being misunderstood even by our family. He experienced being misunderstood even by his family. We get tired. He got tired. The things that are a part of our experience are things that are a part of his experience. And because of that, he is a savior that we can relate to. It says that the champion of our salvation, God saw fit to have him suffer because we suffer. And it says here, in verse 10, that we are made perfect through our suffering. It's this notion that that we are matured in our faith by going through and experiencing difficulty in life. 
This is not an idea that is unique to the author of Hebrews. It's something that's throughout Scripture. In the book of James, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Going through difficulty is something that God uses to mature us in our faith according to James 1 and according to Hebrews chapter 2. Suffering and difficulty is something that matures us. But it does more than just mature us. It also prepares us to serve Him. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, it says this. It says, Jesus who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. See, we go through suffering and difficulty. It matures our faith, but it also prepares us to serve others. It gives us wisdom and and insight to be able to encourage others along the way, to be used of God in that way. Other things that suffering does, according to Scripture, in our spiritual life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says this, says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Saying that we gain intimacy with Christ, we know Him as we go through difficulty and suffering in this life. See, in those three categories, there are three things that we want. We want maturity in our relationship with God. We want to be used by Him to accomplish His purposes. We want intimacy with Christ. We want all of those things. And and the vehicle that God uses to get us there so many times is going through suffering. And, And here's the problem with that. I don't like suffering. My guess is, my hunch is, you don't like it either. I spend a lot of time and thought and energy trying to minimize suffering and difficulty in my life and in the life of others. And, you know, there, there's, there's some appropriateness to that. We don't have to be gluttons. We don't have to be masochists. We don't have to go look to put ourselves in difficult situations. But, you know, what's fascinating to me is that I wonder if in my desire to run away from pain, do I miss opportunities to do and be the things that God wants me to do and be? This passage would say that God matures us through suffering. And one of the ways that God matures us through suffering is He matures us through suffering because as we go through difficulty in this life, we do not go through it alone. As we go through difficulty in life, we go through it with our Savior right there beside us who can relate to the experiences that we are going through. Verse 17, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to to help those who are being tempted. By going through the suffering and difficulty of his 33-year human life, Jesus is able to relate to us as we are going through it. You know, think about people in your life that you have an affinity with. People in your life that God has used at different eras to encourage you in different ways. Many times it's because you are going through something that they have gone through. You have a death of a parent, 
and you have a friend that had a parent die a few years ago, you're able to relate to them and they're able to encourage you in ways that nobody else can, but not because of something they read in a book or heard in a counseling class, but because of the experience that you share. There's a fellowship that comes from that shared experience. You know, people who are in the same profession as you, you get together with them and you have a, a, a kinship because you have a shared experience together. We just came back, our, our pastoral staff was gone this last week at a pastor's conference. I was, I was talking to some of the guys earlier. Some of the things that were, you know, like jokes and transitions and the thing, we all laugh because we're all pastors. We think it's funny, certain things. It might not have been funny to you, but it's funny to us because we're all living in a similar world. You know, we have a fellowship with people that have similar experiences to us. And what these verses tell us in Hebrews 2 is that we have fellowship with Christ because he's experienced it. When we experience the pain of the loss of a loved one, we can have fellowship with Christ because he also experienced the loss of a loved one. We can have fellowship with him. I think about this in terms of his disciples. This is a, a very clear example to me. We think about his disciples who were flogged in the book of Acts because of their faith in Christ. You know, when you're flogged, the, the skin is re- basically removed from your back through a very painful process. It would have left a lifelong scar. When those disciples, every time they bathed, every time they swam, they take their shirts off, they would see those scars on each other's back, and they would have a kinship together. And they would have a kinship not just with each other, but they would have a kinship with the Lord as well. Because his back was stripped raw at the time of his crucifixion. You see, there is a fellowship that comes from experiencing the things Christ has. We don't get to choose the difficulties that we go through in life, but when they come, we shouldn't run away from them necessarily, but we should engage in them, finding Christ in them, because we have fellowship with Him, because the the categories of things that we've gone through are things that He's gone through as well. So We can anchor ourselves in a drifting world because we have a Savior we can relate to. We have a champion who understands our life. You know, I think about issues in my, my own life, and I think about how uh, many times, you know, we, we room like this, me personally, you guys, we, we all have ex- areas of our life right now that are hard. I don't know what it is for you, but it's, it's hard. Maybe several areas, maybe one big area, but there's some things that are going through that are tough. Maybe it's relational, maybe it's medical, maybe it's, it's, it's sin struggle, maybe it's, it's whatever. There's, there's stuff that you're going through that's hard. And it's this, it's this box over here. And sometimes we feel like we need to wall that pain up and pursue Christ outside of that wall. Wall that pain up and then relate to him over here in the things that we read, in the people we talk to, where we kind of keep the, that pain at a distance. But what this passage tells me is that if I can have fellowship with Christ, I can mature in my faith by entering into this area of difficulty and finding Christ there because the pain that is in my life is not something that he cannot relate to. It's something that he can relate to because he downsized into humanity. And so here's what I want us to do as we end our time today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, and they're going to be leading us in a closing song. But as they get ready to lead us in this closing song, here is what I'd, I'd like for you to do. Um, I'd like you to just right, right where you are, I want you to, to close your eyes and bow your head.
And, and as you do that, I want you to think about what is it in your life right now that is painful and is difficult? Um, for, for me personally, the medical things going on with my wife and, and all the things that are associated with that, um, there's a lot of, of, of pain and difficulty there. Um, I don't know what it is for you, but there's something in your life that's hard. And, and I want you to think about, it's, it's, it's highly possible that, that you, like me, have, have put some kind of walls around that area and that pain, and you want to engage in your spiritual life on the outside of that wall and, and, and just try to wall up what's going on inside of there. And, and as we sit here today, I, I want you just to, just to imagine going over to those walls that surround that area of pain. I want you to imagine just opening up the door and going in there and inviting Christ in. Knowing that he can relate. Desiring to come to know him more as you experience the fellowship of that suffering. Communicating that you desire to relate to him um, in a deeper way that he might work through you to encourage others in light of the things he's going to teach you in the middle of the struggle. I want you to think for just a moment and just just quietly pray and engage with Christ in the midst of your difficulty. And as you do that, in just a few moments, worship team will lead us in song.